everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Talking to Change Motivational Interviewing Podcast. First, I'll introduce myself. I'm Sebastian Kaplan uh, from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and joined with my good friend, Glenn Hines from Derry in Northern Ireland. Hello, Glenn. Hi, Sam. Hi, everybody. Well, today we have a, a, an excellent podcast planned for you all. Uh, we'll be joined shortly by Tim Apodaca. Uh, where we'll be talking about the role of affirmation in motivational interviewing. Uh, before we introduce Tim, uh, Glenn, maybe you'd like to tell the audience the various ways that they can give us feedback. Fantastic. So for the people who follow us on Twitter or are looking to follow us on Twitter, it's at Change Talking. Uh, our Facebook page is Talking to Change. And for questions or feedback, or suggestions for future podcasts, the email is podcast at glenhines.com. We had a suggestion, didn't we? Did we not a, a suggestion about uh, a potential podcast uh, around, you know, the stages of change, which was something that um, we hadn't quite thought of, and that's something that we we certainly have on uh, in the planning stages. So, um, comments, feedback, ideas for future episodes, we welcome it all. Okay, well, we'll get things going now. Uh, it is our great pleasure to have Tim on uh, on this podcast today. Um, so Tim Apodaca is a licensed psychologist and an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine. MI has been his primary career focus for the past 15 years through efforts such as implementing MI in various healthcare settings, as well as studying the mechanisms of action through which MI exerts its therapeutic effects. He's been a member of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers since 2002 and has trained a range of clinicians in settings throughout the U.S. In his current role as a psychologist at Children's Mercy Hospital, he teaches psychology interns and medical residents how to use MI skills to address health behavior change in a medical setting. In his clinical work at the hospital, Tim treats adolescents struggling with substance use, adherence to medical treatment, as well as anxiety, depression, ADHD, and other mental health disorders. He also maintains a private practice where he works with both adults and adolescents. As a researcher, Tim has been the principal investigator on two MI-focused grants from the National Institutes of Health, as well as co-investigator on several other federal grants. He has written 40 scholarly articles published in academic journals. Tim, we are very pleased to have you with us and welcome aboard. Thanks guys, thanks for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here today. Appreciate Excellent. it. Well, it probably uh, makes sense just to start with uh, uh, the basic opener about affirmations and just to, to give us an opening of what is an affirmation. Sure. Um, an affirmation is generally when um, a counselor would say something that's positive or complimentary to to the client that they're working with. You know, it might be in the form of expressing appreciation for something that they've done, you know, maybe appreciation for taking a risk in a therapy session or appreciation for uh, a step toward behavior change that they might have made in between sessions. Um, it also could be a form of um, remarking about something that the client has done that would boost their, their confidence, the, the client confidence, affirming that uh, they are able to make changes, as well as um, just reinforcing, I guess, reinforcing or encouraging um, ideas that the client comes up with, or you know, reinforcing essentially any movement toward making things better in their life for whatever it is that, that they're being seen for. Right. So that seemed kind of like a really long definition. I'm sorry. I no, it, kind it, of went on and on with that it, one. It didn't. It, I, think, I suppose what it is is it offers us an opportunity now over the next hour or so really to unpack that, the width of what it is you're describing, because it sounds like it, it can flow from an acknowledgement of someone's efforts in the therapeutic space or in, even making their way to the contact with the practitioner right through to something much more profound about the emotional effort or the contribution that they've made in their attempts to be different between sessions. And it sounds like almost like a continuum from a sense of appreciation right through to an acknowledgement of 
a personal asset or characteristic or strength that belongs to them. And it's, it's that acknowledgement to the client as a means of supporting. Uh, I understood it when you were describing there the confidence of the client to refer to the notion of efficacy, the, the client's mm -hmm. efficacy and their own belief in themselves rather than the idea of I, I feel really confident as a human being. It's, it's about the confidence to, to achieve a change. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, one of the things that um, that I've noticed both uh, in, in the clinical work that I do as well as uh, supervision, when, when I've trained uh, providers, oftentimes I'll have them make audio tapes or recordings of their, their appointments, their sessions, as part of the supervision, as part of my own clinical work, and, and also as part of um, the research that I've done, the, uh, I almost want to say the quality of the affirmation seems to matter. You know, we notice that there, it, it's one of those situations where less is more in a way. That if if a if a client senses that an affirmation is just an attaboy or good job or way to go, and it's done repeatedly, it sort of loses its strength. Right. And so, um, when it comes from a place of something that makes it clear that the client is truly being heard, that the the provider has been attending closely to what they've said, both in that moment and that appointment, as well as in, in the history of their previous work together, that sense of truly being heard and acknowledged for efforts that one is making, acknowledging the difficulty, the struggle of making behavioral change that our clients are often going through, it, it really seems to, to hit home. And a lot of the focus can be on what's wrong, you know, what's wrong with what you're doing, what's wrong with how things are in your life, uh, what's wrong with your mood if you're being seen for depression. And so by picking out or identifying these little points of light, it provides a lot of encouragement to a client in what is often a very long road toward change. Mm -hmm. And so you're bringing up a really important topic in the MI world and, and a topic that MI uh, practitioners often think about and talk about, and that is uh, basically this distinction between an affirmation and words of praise and encouragement, like an attaboy and a good job. And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that distinction and, and why affirmations provide such a unique, uh, uh, there's a, such a unique quality in the affirmation that can be so helpful in the conversation. Sure. I think one way that, that might help me get started in thinking about this is taking an example from outside of the, the therapeutic world, outside of therapy. A parent and a child are talking, and the, and the kid is working hard at school, and they come home with a report card, and let, you know, let's say they've got all A's and one B, and the parent sort of goes through it routinely with them, and good, nice, congrats, congrats. With each of the grades, it can seem or feel or look kind of shallow or surfacey, whereas the parent might say something like, you know, I see you studying every day and all of the effort that you put into that, and you're doing a fantastic job, and I'm really proud of you. That's one way that I think about it is that, you know, affirmations aren't some magic skill that just gets used in MI or even just in therapy. It's it's just a part of natural language that occurs. And um, I, I just think that from an MI perspective as practitioners or trainers or researchers, paying attention to how we give or receive affirmations in the real world can be hugely informative of what might be helpful in a therapeutic context. So the, the, the human relationships that we have in our day-to-day -day lives are also manifest in the therapeutic space. What what we're exploring in, in motivational interviewing and, and, and in other therapies is being more defined about the type of conversation, the, the nature of the content, the topics that are being explored, but the the language that's been used is heard outside of that room as well. It's just, as with motivational interviewing, we're exploring the use of open-ended questions, we're encouraging affirmations, we're encouraging reflective listening, we're encouraging, uh, for a particular structured reason. But it sounds like it's that idea of the affirmation is an appreciation of the effort an individual's making in whatever it is they're doing. And it's and it's how we word that to communicate our genuine appreciation of 
what it must have been like for the other person that uh, and all I'm doing is I'm noticing what you are rather than telling you who you should think yourself to be. I, that's a great way of putting it, that I'm, I'm noticing what you're doing. I'm noticing what you are. You know, it's um, I'm paying attention. Hmm. You know, I for me, the if we're talking about the quality or the, or the depth of affirmations that we, we use in MI, for me, that is inextricably linked to the quality of the MI spirit with which the uh, the session is being done. My, a lot of my research mostly involves coding audio tapes of of MI sessions, and we're noticing we're paying attention to the therapeutic relationship, the qualities of empathy, and the overall style and spirit of MI. And when uh, a provider is high in MI spirit and empathy, and their uh, the genuineness really, I think, of the interaction. Like I'm I'm actually very interested in in what you're saying, and I'm really paying attention to you, an affirmation that comes from that place can sound completely different from when I listen to somebody is doing maybe all of the skills very well, plenty of reflections and, and open questions and affirmations, but if it just seems like they're going through the motions, they got the skills down, but the relationship and the spirit and the empathy aren't readily apparent either to you know me as a supervisor or to the client who's being listened to, they you know it's noticed. There's a huge difference in the quality of the interaction, the relationship that has a huge influence on whether or not an affirmation is received as genuine. Mm -hmm. So, how do you? I'm just curious how you glean that or notice that, right? When you're listening to a recording or or observing one of your students or a supervisee, like how how do you notice? that there's um, a lack of genuineness. If someone's using the words that make up an affirmation, but there's just something missing there, I, how do you pick that up? I think the first thing is, is how the client responds immediately afterwards. If it's a, you know, more of a surface level type of affirmation, most of the time the, the immediate client response is, yeah, or thanks or just a one word or almost even a non-response, just a nodding of the head. Whereas if it's a, a deeper, more genuine affirmation, the client will often continue talking more about what they were just affirmed for. Mm. Because it, it in, in a way, it's uh, it's hard to describe. It's just in the, in, the, in the reaction of the person who receives the affirmation. Mm. You know, if we go back to the kid with the report card, with the parents just ticking through it, they might just you know, nod their head, take the report card and shuffle back to their room. Mm. If the, they receive that deeper mm. affirmation, they might smile and climb on mom or dad's lap. It's, mm. it's in the reaction right. that, that you can sense whether it's being kind of combined it with that MI spirit and the quality of the connection of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The connectedness part of what you're describing there with what I'm noticing in my trainings is that when we do exercises, where people are invited to practice listening, just pay attention with curiosity. One of the feedbacks is about, you know, very often what happens is when I ring the chime to bring the conversation in, the conversations continue. And I just be curious, you know, what's going on in the conversation that makes both parties want to stay part of it? And more often than not, the person who's got the task of listening saying is, says, I was just really interested. And the person who was talking says, I felt listened to. And mm -hmm. and as we debrief that, it universally what we discover is is that when we when we are being genuinely listened to, it's a felt experience. Yes. It's and it sounds like that's what you're describing, is that that's coming across in the tapes that the person feels listened to. There's a there's an there's an experience that they've been they have felt heard and they move towards a person that, that is connected to them at that level. And interestingly, that what the practitioner can do to increase that is to choose to be interested in what the person is saying, which is what you were describing, is that you're genuinely there. So you must be genuinely interested in what the other person is saying. An affirmation coming from that place will simply arise because you can see it or experience it in the company of somebody else. Yeah, I'm thinking of um, the, a training that I'm I'm preparing that I'm working on uh, currently. And it's going to be a challenge because it addresses that very issue you were 
just talking about. It's it's in a military setting um, here in the U.S. and there's very distinct roles and lines that that the counselor they don't even they don't want to evoke certain information because then it becomes reportable and it creates all kinds of mess. So uh, I'm listening to some of their practice sessions, getting ready for this, and and they're hitting all the buttons. You know, there's number of reflections, uh, maybe two reflections per open question, and um, it, the, the 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 focus is just on going. I don't want to say going through the motions, but almost that's almost what it feels like mm-hmm. when listening to some of this stuff. And the challenge is if the quality, if, if if somebody isn't um, genuinely interested in or or wanting to listen to or understand the person they're working with, is that a teachable or trainable skill? I don't know. I think from the person, you know, from an MI perspective, that that's a, a huge challenge is people can learn the, the skills all they want. And I, I don't know. That's that's an issue that I wrestle with. Um, it, I think part of it is with the uh, the medical setting that I'm that I've been working in for a number of years where the style is just completely different. Let's let's get them going. And you know, I can get. Uh, an endocrinologist to ask more open questions, but it's harder to get them to slow down and, and, and listen mm. and genuinely attend to what's being said mm. rather than ticking through to the next patient they've got to see. Um, you know, Glenn, that's what came up for me when you were yeah. talking about that listening exercise that you've got is you, you have to start with a clinician or a counselor who is genuinely interested and concerned about the person. Otherwise, they're going to miss catching those little points of light that they could possibly affirm that are actually going on in the person's life outside of the therapy room or in that moment right there. Tim, you used the term points of light a couple of times Mm -hmm. um, so far. And maybe in, in getting at this question of authenticity around affirmations, it, it just made me think about a, a client who would come in a, a, to a therapist or a patient to see a, a physician. And if, if they're coming in describing some of the challenges that they're experiencing or, or they come in with their head down, dejected, they haven't followed through or they're still struggling with their weight or whatever it might be. And if, if that provider, rather than lecturing on, well, you know, you really got to buckle down and join the gym or, you know, you really have to do your homework or whatever it is. If that provider kind of turns the tables a bit and makes a comment about the light that is there, as opposed to all the problems that are there, that's a sign that the person is really paying close attention, not just to the words, but but also a bit to the, I guess, the, the underlying values that that person possesses and what the strengths that that person might possess. And, and that might be a, a signal that, okay, that is, that is a, a genuine affirmation as opposed to someone just going through the motions. Absolutely. You know, that, that, that brings to mind a, a young man that I'm working with currently. He's um, just graduated high school uh, and he was referred to me for poor adherence uh, to manage type one diabetes. It's a terrible disease to have to manage. Uh, it, for a teenager, it's it's very very difficult. It takes a lot of effort. It makes you different than everybody else. So, they referred this person to me because Tim does motivational interviewing. Let's see if he can motivate him to take better care of his diabetes. So that was the presenting problem, and there's some concerns about depression and all that. And then that got better. That we were able to work on the adherence and the behaviors that needed to happen for that. But the theme that had been emerging while we did that, that I was paying attention to in the background, was wanting independence and being terrified of independence all at the same time. And so in a recent recent session, we were talking about he has been wanting to get a job and get his driver's license for months. And he hasn't done so. And 
when we were talking today about it, he was getting dejected and kind of getting resigned to things and avoiding as his tendency seems to be. And so I said something along the lines of, you know, it, it might feel like a, a huge mountain to climb to figure out how to do this. You're trying to register for college courses. You're trying to find a job and you don't know how to do any of this stuff. I said, but, you know, just a couple of months ago, you felt like managing your diabetes was impossible. Mm. You know, you had been hospitalized because it had gotten so bad. And look where you're at now. You know, how, how do you feel now with physically and with your health? And so I was trying to affirm this success and the effort that he had made in this other arena of his life and use that to build his confidence that, yes, maybe I can overcome this challenge as well. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what was coming to my mind when you were asking about like the points of light, because we were in this very frustrating appointment, this frustrating session. He was getting dejected. He was kind of shutting down a little bit. And you know, the, the, the point of light was, man, you know, you really, you're kicking your diabetes butt. Mm. And three months ago, it was kicking yours. Mm. And it turned around the, the tone of the appointment and he became reengaged and was starting to talk about, well, maybe I could do this mm. little thing to move toward it. So it sounds like one of the things that you were able to do was help him not to take for granted the success that he'd made and bring it to the fore and then build, use that energy of success to consider about what else to do. So that, and, and, and you reintroduced with the affirmation some momentum based on the success that had already taken place. Yeah, it's something that I, I, I don't know why I had not thought of this before. I mean, I've been doing MI for whatever it is, 15 years now. Just recently, in the last few months, when I think about the importance and the confidence scales or any kind of one to 10 scale that we use, a lot of times, my, my clients at least, they tend to focus on how much further there is still to go, mm. as opposed to how much I've done. Mm. And I'm a visual person and a lot of my, my, you know, my clients are teenagers, got a big whiteboard on the wall, I'll just go draw a line, like this is where I started and over here is where I wanna be whatever the behavior is, or even if it's becoming more independent, which is not a behavior, it's, you know, it's, it's a, almost a quality. And, uh, you know, where, where were you at then? Okay, put a mark right here where you're at now. Okay, and this is where you want to go. And by, it's almost like the question when you do the confidence ruler with somebody in MI where you say, why are you, uh, you know, a, a six and not a one? Hmm. And without doing it in that structured of a way that I just said, I've been using that concept more with my clients and I affirm how far they've come. And over time, they seem to start being able to self-affirm more if the attention is redirected on, well, look what you've done. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And it also, it doesn't seem to uh, discount the struggles that someone's having. So the young man that you were working with who hadn't had gotten his license and that's still a reality of his life and there's still things that are in the way, but the affirmation that you use there was done in service of maybe reminding him that he's overcome huge barriers. Yeah. And and that's a quality within himself. That's a strength that he possesses that he can bring to any challenge in his path, whether it's the license or something else, but it's not, it's not dismissive. It's not, Oh, don't worry about that. You're doing fine. It's well, you've, you've made this major achievement and the invitation to consider how that, whatever he used in terms of a strength for the challenge before could benefit him and the challenge ahead. Absolutely. And just a few weeks ago, I had given him an assignment between appointments to start writing a list of successes. What have you done, big or small, you would consider a success? And he came back with a list the next week with something as big as graduating high school a year early. That, that was a big deal. Mm. And something as small as learning to skip a rock. And so it helped us to create a language together 
of acknowledgement of the abilities and the good things that he is able to do to, to build steam for the next challenges that he has to face. So that, that's part of what I meant by the hmm. self-affirmation, that I think the, the genuine affirmations that a person receives in a therapeutic setting, one, a client, a person, a patient can learn to notice more themselves the good things that are going on, the abilities that they do have, the challenges that they're able to overcome. Hmm. So when, you are, when we're talking about the issue of authenticity or, you know, genuineness or basically a quality, a good quality affirmation versus kind of a surface one. Something that I try to do, and I also very, very much try to instill this in, in trainees or supervisees, is whenever we can, when we use MI to elicit a person's goals and values, which is a strategy that's you know designed to elicit change talk and motivation to change, time and again, you can come back to some of those values that the person has. And a simple statement about that value can carry a lot of weight. Mm. It's one of those less is more things. You know, somebody who is struggling to overcome lifelong resentment of their parents for something the way they were raised. They feel like they're never going to be able to let go of that. And it's always going to hang over their life. If somebody has identified a value, even if it wasn't explicitly, mm. if you notice a value that somebody has, you know, a, an affirmation of you are so determined. When you set your mind to something, you make sure it gets done. Mm. I just find the role of values in MI and having developing an ear for listening for those and then holding them and knowing that they're there and not necessarily reflecting it back immediately. But when that moment is there, that it's relevant and the person needs to hear it, that's where I think some of the the art of doing MI comes in. Mm. Maybe it's been discussed a while back, but they're not thinking of it in this context. I think just paying attention to and listening for and just attending to the values and what's truly important to people in their lives, just acknowledging what that value is and affirming that value in the person, in my experience, seems to carry a lot of depth and a lot of weight for that person. Mm. So again, you're it sounds like you're describing almost like a Rather than a continuum lengthways, it's a continuum depthways in relation to how an affirmation may sound. That, you know, when you're you're describing someone coming in and having learned to skip a rock, that by exploring with them, you know, how, how did you go about doing that? You'll hear characteristics, you'll hear strengths, you'll hear talents that were necessary to achieve that. And then we can be curious. So, how can you use those skills and talents that have helped you learn to skip a rock? to help you to manage your diabetes, perhaps. But also then, at a deeper level, it's about sense of integrity or effort or determination. It's, it's almost like the drivers that make this individual who they are that helps them achieve the throwing the rock. But they use skills on top of these values. These talents are driven by these values. And, and that by paying attention and being aware of these values, you. you then my guess is the individual is going to feel much more connected to the practitioner who can observe and experience those aspects of them in any conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned the skipping of the rock and, you know, on a, maybe on a smaller level or a less deep level, I might ask them how they did it. And well, it turns out I asked grandpa to, to show me how to do it. I tried it for three weeks on their farm and I couldn't get it to do. Why? Well, okay, so asking for help, even when you were embarrassed to ask. So that, you know, using the success or the affirmation to then explore strategies or ways of going about solving the new problem. But then with, with the values on the deeper level, when listening for what's important to a person or more explicitly, sometimes maybe through a, an exercise like a values clarification exercise with the values card sort, when we can get people, when we get a person to identify their values, they're they're stating either something that they really like about themselves or something that they really aspire to. And by the nature of one of those two things, that lends itself to something we can affirm in the person. Because when we identify values with someone, they're identifying the best in them or the best that they aspire to. And so again, whether it's through a structured exercise to identify values or whether it's listening for those themes, reflecting them, asking about them. You know, it seems like, um, you know, being true to your word is something that's really important to you. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, you know, because I think honesty and, you know, and so that helps us to clarify that's something that's really important to them. We can use that down the road later in the appointment, three weeks from now. You know, you're, you, you told me before that honesty is really important to you. And I noticed how, even though it was really hard, you stood up to your boss and things actually got better around there. So there's an affirmation mm-hmm. built around a value that you might not have known about it until just, you know, a couple of weeks earlier. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally does. There are actually a couple of different things I'm, I'm wanting to react to. One was, Glenn, your idea of a continuum of depth. And from the point of view of a, a trainee or, or maybe a seasoned clinician that's listening to this episode right now and thinking, well, you know, how can I use affirmations in my, in my practice? To go back to the rock skipping example, a more shallow, maybe not ineffective, but a more shallow comment about that person's rock skipping efforts might be simply about skipping rocks. And right. it might be about, you really learned how to skip rocks today or over the weekend. But getting deeper and talking about or, or, or naming the determination, that Persist- that's something, Determ- that yeah. persistence, determination, that right. that is something that is broader than, like the, the rock skipping is just a launching point to identify and recognize and consider the idea of determination or persistence that could then take you into other parts of the person's life. And and that, that would be considered a, a much deeper statement or a deeper affirmation, if you will. And, yeah. and I also, I, I wouldn't want people to come away with the idea that, well, I, I, everything has to be this really sort of deep, you know, values-based thing. It's perfectly fine to say, wow, you know, if a kid said, hey, came in and I learned to skip a rock and, you know, to celebrate that some, uh, you know, that that's perfectly fine too. But to find these moments where you can kind of get deeper and identify things like determination and persistence can just move the discussion in, in a really rich way. Yeah, I, I love having this conversation with you guys. I, I hadn't thought about it in the terms that, that you're describing now, that the range or the continuum and as as I was listening to you, I was thinking that perhaps those, I don't know, what do we, I don't want to call them, you know, a simple affirmation, like a simple reflection, but more of a, you did a good job with this, that specific, it's maybe not the deeper value-based one, but perhaps those type of affirmations function to praise recent or immediate progress or gains, to encourage continuing to do that thing. And maybe those deeper reflections that involve values Perhaps those are most useful in building confidence to face a new challenge that they're feeling kind of dark about or discouraged about, Mm. that perhaps we don't need to go to a values-based thing because they learned to to skip a rock, but if they're afraid they're going to fail out of college and so they're hiding in their dorm room and they won't go anymore, then maybe that's when we need to pull out the determination Mm. affirmation. Mm. And maybe they function differently. Right, Mm. right. So in some ways, you know, it sounds like you work very hard and it sounds like skipping rocks is really important to you and, and to the point where you were determined to master it over the weekend and you were success. So you're quite a determined person. So I'm wondering how you might use your determination when it comes to coming out of your dorm room. Exactly. Right, right. Exactly. Um, you know, my almost, I, I guess, uh, obsessive in a way interest in therapeutic process and, and what happens in the you know, moment-to-moment exchange, the thing with affirmations for me from a pro- professional point where I really got very interested in them started with a, a, a research study where I wasn't planning to look at that thing. And I don't know if that's something that we'd want to talk about. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Okay. I became interested in when to use different micro skills. When I say micro skill, I mean an individual therapist behavior, such as a firm or an open question or a complex reflection. I said, you know, let's see if we can take a look at the individual behaviors that make up mm. MI consistent behaviors. You know, and, and so those those things included, you know, a firm, emphasizing control, open questions, affirmations, um, giving advice with permission a reframing, a support statement. There's a list of, I Mm. don't know, eight or nine different MI behaviors that are recommended or prescribed. And 
there were only four of those that individually predicted change talk within the session. And complex reflections, you know, in my trainings and my supervision, I've worked so hard to make sure people knew how to do complex reflections. And they're hard for people to learn. They're hard for people to do. Well, complex reflections accounted for 7% of, of the variance of change talk, meaning 7% of what can be understood about why or how change talk emerged came from open questions. I'm sorry, complex reflections. Open questions was 8%. A firm accounted for 19%, nearly 20% of the variability of the amount of change talk. And I thought, well, that's odd. Let me go back and, and look at uh, how often were the therapists doing this? Mm. You know, they were asking open questions 34, 35 times per session on average. Reflections were 35, 36. And there were only, an, on average, like seven affirmations per session. And that just, that just fascinated me. How can it be something that's only done a few times in the course of this session really predict and elicit the amount of change talk you're going to get from the, the client or the patient. It just piqued my interest and it made me, it made me uh, respect the role of affirmations much more so than I had before. Hmm. Your curiosity about how motivational dream was working led you to dig deeper and deeper into the elements of motivational viewing, which led you to discover the significant influence that an affirmation has in relation to predicting change talk and potentially change behavior. So in some ways it sounds like that an affirmation off itself, if we were to think of the toolbox, that affirmations in themselves may represent one of the most powerful tools available to us in our interventions with people and therefore something that we can be interested in is how often am I or are my students or the people I'm working with using the most powerful tool available to them to bring about a meaningful change for the client. So that, that's, Absolutely. Hmm. You know, I think um, even though I had been doing motivational interviewing for years at that point, and I'd been trained as a trainer for, I think, three years already by the time I even designed that study. And, you know, Bill Miller was my mentor. It's like I knew MI pretty well. Hmm. But I just I thought affirmations, okay, it's it's a nice little pat on the back, it's a little compliment. <sighs> Let's where I, I complex reflections are, you know, that's where it's at. I, I kind of had I guess I didn't respect the role of affirmations is probably the best way to put it mm. until until the data told me otherwise. I, I imagine that listeners and, and MI learners um, will gravitate to MI for different reasons. You know, some just sort of naturally connect with with the style and the spirit. Some might really work in settings that don't afford them hour long conversation uh, times with with clients or patients, and they they want something that's a brief intervention. Okay, so MI suits them, and, and I imagine for others, it's it's really searching for evidence based skills or evidence based interventions and that piece of information there, the idea that affirmations above complex reflections and above open-ended questions that produced twice as much change talk, uh, I imagine that that could be for some a really uh, eye-opening and important piece of uh, piece of information there. So I, I just really want to really appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, and I think uh, to one of your points that um, in some settings, we, we may only have one interaction with a person. We may not have repeated interactions, and we may not have long interactions with them. And so perhaps that idea of listening for and catching or even asking about the person's values to try to come with some of those deeper affirmations. Another strategy that works is over time with different patients, the different commonalities that are going to come out. You know, if somebody just sees people for diabetes or somebody um, is a caseworker who works with um, families who are foster families or over time, the kinds of themes or values that a lot of people in that situation might have can absolutely still be used as an affirmation that's very deep, even if it's a one time interaction, you know, I, such as other people, you know, in this kind of situation told me sometimes that 
kindness is something that is extremely important to them. And, I, and I'm really hearing that from you right now. Mm. Is the, 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 it's really that, that warmth that you feel toward, toward other humans that inspires you to continue to take these kids into your home who constantly cause problems, but it's because you value kindness. Mm. That person maybe hasn't said it, and you maybe you've only known them for 10 minutes, mm. but 50 other clients mm. you've, you've seen mm. or heard that from, you can use it in that way. Mm. So it's, an, it's the nature of the type of people who would be doing that type of behavior that potentially you can not so much generalize, but bring into the conversation understanding there's a likelihood that it's kindness or compassion or caring for other people or the willingness to make sacrifice for the well-being of kids that you're prepared to give up of your give time of yourself because you want to help people yeah and and and, and i think how it's said is important because if if you were to say in that same situation you got to have a kind heart to work with these kinds of kids right right uh you know very different effect so I, you know, I think one of the the biggest things that that I learned and I'm ever grateful uh, to to Bill Miller for is that that sense of genuine curiosity about the other person and being able to take a possibility. You know, other people have told me this. I wonder if that if that's maybe what's going on here. Mm. You know, so the way that you approach the very same thing, perhaps that value of kindness or generosity, it's not going to be received as an affirmation if you just say, yeah, you got to have a kind heart to do this kind of stuff, don't you? Mm. I mean, I'm being a bit dismissive in how I'm, I'm doing it to make the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The same topic, the same idea, the same attempt at an affirmation might come across very differently. And the best way, as always, for us to know whether it's helpful or not is that immediate response from the client or the patient. Mm. Do they brighten up? Do they keep talking? Do they seem more enthused? Or do they just nod and go, yeah? Mm. Yeah, so this is really important because you're, you're, you're beginning to describe or, or continuing to describe really how, like what the structure of an affirmation statement is, you know? In some of the examples, for instance, it's quite clear they often start with or certainly include the word you, Mm. meaning that this is a statement that is about the other person. Right. uh, As opposed to a statement that starts with the word I, you know, I'm proud of you or I think that was really good of you to do. Uh, The emphasis isn't on the I, it's the emphasis is on the other person. So that, that seems to be something in all the examples that you've kind of thrown in there today in, in the conversation is the emphasis on the other person. And even in that statement there, too, about, you know, you, you got to have a good heart to, to do this sort of work. That starts with you. But something that seemed deviant, I suppose, from an affirmation is that it, it came from a place more of the practitioner kind of knowing and, and telling the other person Oh, oh, by the way, you know, I know, you know, I know something here about having a good heart and let me tell you about that, which doesn't really emphasize the other person. So an affirmation, as far as the structure of the statement, it really needs to emphasize the other person first and foremost and a strength or a a value or quality that they possess. Right. It's sort of like the generic you versus the you that I'm seeing and Mm -hmm. being with right now. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, in a way, that's what keeps... The, uh, the affirmation that I was describing that might be based on repeated experiences of clients in similar situations, what keeps it from becoming just being a stereotype about you types of people mm. is the fact that it's being noticed and, and floated out there as a possibility with genuine curiosity. I wonder if that's what's going on here, mm. as opposed to everybody in your situation, whatever. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like sure. the difference between exploring with curiosity, wow, I wonder if this is true for you, as opposed to all of you people mm. are like this. And and it's also, it's not done in a definitive way either, right? Sometimes people have asked me in trainings or, or commented that they, they worry that an affirmation feels like an interpretation, 
And to me, the distinction there is an interpretation is more of a statement of, of fact that I, as the practitioner, have sort of decided fits you. And the way you're describing an affirmation has, it, there's like a lighter quality to it. it. It's like, you know, there's a chance I'm off base here, but this is something that I think I'm noticing about you. And, and there's a, a spoken or unspoken invitation for them to kind of chew on that a little bit and think about it and, and maybe counter it. But, but it's, not, it's not a heavy-handed statement that's, you know, this is who you are. It's a curious kind of wondering about the other person. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I love working with, working with teenagers is um, if I float something out there that's not accurate, they're going to let me know. You know, if I'm trying to pull a quality like, let's say, um, being committed to relationships in the service of maybe trying to get them to apply that to repairing some of the damage in the relationship with their parents that their marijuana use has called, you know, caused. In, in a, that context, I might hear them say something about uh, uh, an interaction with a friend, and I might be thinking, okay, maybe I can build on this relationship importance, and I perhaps might say something like, it seems really important to you to be a good friend and be true to your word. And if that's not right, so that might feel like an interpretation to somebody, like one of your trainees, mm. but with teens, oh, hell no. I just wanted to get a ride home from the movies. If, if, if you're wrong, most people are going to let you know. Hmm. That's what I love about teens. They're they, they're they're a constant opportunity to uh, to learn. Yeah. So that that autocorrected, perhaps that many of us will recognize in our client interactions. That's the client's effort to help us understand. They're giving us information to help us understand, and that by them autocorrecting, it's not that you got it wrong in a critical way or a negative way. It was just that you know your reflection just didn't fit what they meant. And then they give you new information so that you came back online because they wanted you back online. Yeah, and I think we have to, as clinicians and practitioners, we have to rely on that inherent human desire and drive to be known, to be understood. Mm. So if we float something that's wrong, we just have to trust that most people don't want to be misunderstood, misinterpreted. Right. They want to be understood. Mm. So I, I love the autocorrect there, Glenn. That's a great way to put it. Cool, cool. As, as we've been talking for the last couple of minutes, one of the things that's been coming into my head, and I just want to throw it out there before we move on, is it's, it's almost like the spirit of motivational interviewing has a tone to it in the, the sound of the voice that we can ident people can identify the authenticity of the intervention in the tone of the person who's speaking. I haven't, I haven't developed that any further. I'm going to go away and think about that, that compassion has a sound or a tone to it authenticity has a tone to it that's different from just being practiced. I agree with that. I was I was thinking of one of the best metaphors or ideas that really drove that home for me of the importance of that aspect of, of MI spirit was one of the first MI trainings that I uh, experienced was I was just observing Terry Moyers, who's a, a master trainer. I was observing her for a couple of her trainings and she was explaining to this group the, the concept of the MI spirit. These were nurses that she was training. And, and they felt, I, I haven't done my job if I don't leave the room and they've agreed to something. Hmm. And so, you know, what Terry said was, you want to approach it like, you know, this is just a, a plate of cookies I'm putting out here for you. I'm offering them to you. I don't care if you take one or that you take one. I just care that you consider it. It happened earlier today with the kid who thought I was going to judge him about his marijuana use. I said, I'm not going to tell you whether smoking twice a month as opposed to every day, if that's the right thing for you. I don't know. You know, I'm just meeting you today. I mean, I know that you told me that it helps you to cope with the distress and the, and the memories of the all of the fighting that your parents used to do. I just care about whether you feel like that's something that is important for you to keep doing or to take a look at maybe doing differently. Yeah, I, I mean, the tone, I think when, when you said the tone, I was that's what came to my mind about the cookie thing. It's, it's not take a cookie. It's just, hey, it's there. And, you know, I'm, I'm here to abide with you. I think just abiding through the process with somebody. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great uh, it's a great image. And I, I, I think I think you're, you're right, Glenn, about the, the tone and there's just something about it. And, you know it's just a more casual approach to things that isn't 
that doesn't carry with it the weight of, you know, expertise and, you know, I'm, I'm lecturing you or I'm telling you what to do. It's, you know, it's just a plate of cookies. You know, there's just a lighter quality to it. Right. There's a group of researchers in Washington state. Zach Imel, I-M-E-L, is one of the group. I've read a little bit of their work, but they're not studying MI per se, but language more generally. And they're starting to identify things like the word, I may be getting the word wrong, but it's, I think it's prosody, P-R-O-S-I-D-I-T-Y. It has something to do with the fluidity of language, how naturally it flows. It's like so the song, it's, it's like the song quality of language. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prosody, thank you. And um, I think studying and analyzing sort of expert level interactions like that, and then they're creating like crazy machine learning models to then essentially automatically code and identify elements of language that aren't even the words that are being used. It's what you say, the flow. So if there are people looking at that stuff. That's uh, yeah. I'm definitely outside my uh, realm of understanding at this point, but there's something to it and people are trying to understand it. You mentioned that as well, different types of affirmations that you might use with different populations. And I'm, well, I'm just wondering, do you, do you find that when you're working with teenagers that the affirmations that you're offering might be framed differently than the affirmations you would offer an adult population? Um, I think that in a way, yes, because of what the teenagers, my teenage patients have taught me about uh, reflections hmm. informs how I approach affirmations with them. Simple reflections, just a simple kind of restatement of what a person has said. With adults, most of the time, that works just to keep the conversation going, keep them talking about what they just said. But I'll tell you what, in, in you try to do two or three of those in the course of one appointment with a teenager. For, in my experience, after the second or third one, they're going to be, ah, that's what I just said. <laughs> and, it's, and it's that it's that almost more the concrete thinking about it is that doesn't work. You're just repeating what I'm saying. I think with... Um, the way I apply that to affirmations is a simple reflection, perhaps the, the parallel with affirmations might be something that's more of a platitude. Mm. You know, I've heard, you know, I've heard that from teachers. My parents told me that a million times. That's just something that adults say to teenagers right. as opposed to the, you know, the deeper noticing and listening we were talking about earlier. And I think that's where, where we have to really focus more on the idea that perhaps sometimes less is more. Maybe, maybe saying one really powerful affirmation in a 40-minute appointment wow. is, is more impactful than saying five that they just flow right off their back because, mm. like, I hear that all the time. Right. But it sounds like that, that idea that kids or teenagers will be, re, will, re, will be reactive to simple reflections. And I'm just wondering, are you saying then that they're more responsive? If, if, if we were to use reflective listening with a teenage population, that they're more responsive to the more complex reflections in a conversation? Or is it that you simply find yourself not using reflections that often with a teenage population? Uh, no, I would say specifically that, yeah, I tend to try to use more complex reflections. And if, if I don't know enough about them yet or there's not enough information on what they've said, for me to be able to generate a complex reflection, then you can never go wrong with an open question. Okay. You know, and in, in terms of in terms of the whole process of change with MI, you know, our our research group has seen and others have as well that reflections tend to elicit a certain amount of change talk, um, and the same amount tends to come from open questions. Um, but yeah, with teens, I just don't use as many simple reflections. If they're reacting badly to them. Mm. It's almost like that as a teenager, their experience in the world is that they're currently less visible than the adult population. Whereas when they meet a practitioner, an individual who can offer a complex reflection or that deeper affirmation, the communication is, I can see you. And the kid experiences themselves being really got. And that, that's what makes the conversation more attractive and makes them potentially come towards the practitioner in a way that's really meaningful for the young person themselves. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that, Glenn. I have found that motivational interviewing is it's just incredibly well-received by teenagers, and it's because of what you just said. 
is that it, it helps us get into an interaction with a teen that is different from 99% of the other interactions they have with adults. Mm. And it's, it's like they're equals. It's, you know, it's the whole MI collaboration autonomy. And if, if that's happening in, in MI, the teens like perk up like, oh, you're actually listening and treating me with respect and giving my opinions some value here. Mm. Okay, yeah, I'll talk to you more. Mm. It's a, you know, it's it's showing respect, mm. and they just don't get a whole lot of that. Yeah, and they and they do crave it for sure. And uh, hey, it's also I feel like teenagers, one of the things they're so attuned to are, are who in their world are are um, genuine. You know who's fake, who's not fake, right? And there's so much discussion about about that sort of thing between teenagers and who can who can they trust at some level too. And I agree, uh, MI provides such a, a wonderful opportunity for practitioners of any kind to to really connect with them at at a level that they're craving. Yeah, that you know the hypocrisy detector on teens is so highly attuned. I was doing an intake with a teenage kid today, and one after the parents left the room, they one of their main treatment goals for him had been to increase honesty, you know, to improve communication. And I don't know, about 10, 20 minutes into our one-on-one time with them, and he said, and this thing about them telling me not to lie, and he used a word that, you know, I, I probably shouldn't repeat here, but he said, they lie all the time. And he points out multiple examples, and he goes, how can they tell me? So yeah, it's it's the um, the genuineness versus the I guess the placating mm. approach. I, I just find teens endlessly fascinating in how engaged they will become if they're just treated with respect, like their voice matters. I try to use good MI skills and treat them, approach them with respect, and mm. they respond. I wanted to say something about the affirmation piece with with regards to that as well. Um, I was thinking about that today when uh, I was doing kind of a particularly challenging initial appointment intake session with a a 16-year-old and his two parents. And um, it had been like a really heavy, intense kind of uh, hour or more of disappointment with with all four of us in the room, the teenage patient and the two parents. Parents were uh, divorced about a year, fairly lengthy history of verbally abusive, sometimes physically abusive. And yet, there was just a real tension and a heaviness in the room. And I just I just acknowledged, guys, I got to say, after everything that you've talked to me about, which I'm sure is just the tip of the iceberg, but of what you've been through, the fact that you're both willing to be here in this room together today, I said that I have to imagine that's incredibly uncomfortable for both of you. And yet, and I turned to the teen and I said, this to me, this just shows how much concern and care they have for you and that they want the best for you. And, you know, the kid who'd been staring at the floor with the hair hanging over his eyes, you know, he pulls his head up and he looks at me and then he looks at each of them. And you could just feel sort of this, the weight of this, this tension that had been there. Mm. And then mom turned to the kid and she said, yeah, you know, honey. And then she said something very positive and loving toward him. And it just, I don't, wasn't intending to be doing motivational interviewing at that moment, but I had the sense that there was so much tension and conflict that they were about on the verge of not wanting to continue with this. It was sort of at a boiling point. And so perhaps if I were doing MI, maybe my target behavior would have been engage in therapy because hmm. it's really was needed in that situation. But just acknowledging the willingness to tolerate something awful hmm. is an affirmation. At least it wasn't, it felt like one in that moment. Right. I don't know. I just I wanted to mention that because it was just kind of an unusual experience of an affirmation. You sound really mm-hmm. dedicated to what you're doing, and it, it sounds like you really value the opportunity to offer individuals or families who are struggling with circumstances the, the opportunity to navigate a new path in the company of somebody who is working really hard to understand what it must be like to be them. And it sounds like that, that, that really lights you up when you have that opportunity. Yeah. I also, another thing that I changed in, in the way that I practice because of the geeky side of me with the research and my newfound respect for affirmations a while back, I didn't used to do this when I did uh, intakes with, with families. And I didn't used to ask about positive qualities. And then I started thinking about it, like, we're just sitting here talking about all the bad stuff. Why, why would this kid want to change anything? Everybody's just sitting around here bashing on him. 
So I started asking toward the end before the parents left and I reengaged with the kid. You know, what what would you say are some of the, the best qualities that your son possesses? What do you admire about him? And, you know, they're they'll smile and they'll they'll list creative, you know, funny, loving, warm. You know, he's got a, a heart the size of Montana and uh, makes friends easily, intelligent. And so they start rattling these things off and the mood turns. And we can separate before I just meet with the kid on a positive note of there's a lot more good here than there is bad. Mm. And so it, it, it seems to function to instill hope on the part of both the parent and the kid that, OK, there is a lot that's going right here. It's not just this one thing that we've been hammering on for the last hour. And uh, I don't know, I think it opens up um, a deeper level of engagement than otherwise would be when I didn't used to do it. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, oh. Wondering if, if you have any uh, new projects that you've begun, uh, any new interests uh, related to MI or certainly related to affirmation since that's our topic today. Yeah, I'm really excited about this uh, study that we're, we're writing up right now that it's not specific to affirmations, it's specific to MI, but it's gotten uh, myself and my collaborators talking and thinking a lot about affirmations and values and goals, essentially looking at a lot of the positive aspects of what's going on in a person's life as opposed to, again, the negative, the behavior change, looking at the why I'm a six instead of a 10 rather than a six instead of a one. You know, We, um, we examined a, about 100 individual MI sessions um, from, from these college students, heavy drinking college students. And um, there were a number of different elements or what, what we refer to or think of as components of MI. It, it was the structure, basically. And, and it included sort of a rapport building component where they would review what had happened, the event that led them to be there. The therapist would lead them through a pros and cons discussion of their drinking, so a decisional balance kind of thing. They would talk about social influences, whether it's family, parents. Um, these were all designed to you know, increase motivation. And then they were given a feedback report where they, their use was compared to others. And then we had a section where they would envision the future. And they'd be asked to talk about or think about how, how do you think things would look or how do you want things to look if, you know, you kind of continued the way they are now. And then how they might continue, how they might look if you, know, you make some of these changes. And um, then they had a plan for change. And um, what we found was fascinated us. We thought that the change plan was going to be where the action was. Mm. So we found that the component, the part of the MI session that had the highest level, the highest amount of change talk was envision the future, where they were looking ahead. They were thinking about the positive stuff. So almost 60% of their language was about changing mm. in that section, you know, as opposed to, you know, with the feedback section, it was maybe 20% was of it was change talk. So envision the future, looking at the positive aspects of Again, values, hmm. goals, aspirations elicited the most change talk. And then the language, the change language, the commitment from that specific section was the most predictive of their drinking outcomes six and 12 months later. So, you know, it's got us thinking about affirmations, about strength-based approaches, about the importance of values and goals in motivational interviewing. And so that's something that I, I'm really excited about because hmm. every research is grueling. Research can be boring. Research can be dull. So for me, I've always had to really care about what I'm researching. And it's always been of interest to me, how is this going to inform patient care? Hmm. How is this going to change the way I treat my patients and how I can train other people to treat patients? So breaking it down to kind of these micro levels has helped us to begin to look at some of those things. And that's where this finding and the respect for affirmations first came from. So I'm really excited about that project. And just, I think, again, continuing to focus on the values, the goals, the aspirations, and the moment-by-moment -moment affirmations we can offer to our patients. That envisioning exercise, you, you can see how that could apply in just a range of clinical settings, right? You could certainly see a lengthy discussion about the future over the course of a one-hour session. I could also imagine a physician who's got, you know, patients waiting in the waiting room for them, they're, they're, they're backed up already, and they're having a conversation about medication, and the physician asks a question like, how would taking this medicine help you in the future? 
how would you want it to help you in the future? Just some, just a small addition to a conversation that won't take that much time, but it gets a person thinking less about the stuff that's wrong with them or the things they're trying to get rid of and more focused on what they're aspiring towards. Absolutely. And I think tying it even more specifically to a time frame helps people to be more concrete and to think more clearly about it. You know, maybe, you, you know, in your example, in, in three months time, how might you feel differently or better than you do now if you're able to, to, to take this medicine regularly? And then they're talking about playing with the grandkids and being able to go golfing again instead of the side effects and I got to take it every day and I can't believe that I've got this disease. Whether it's change talk or simply a, a more optimistic sound coming out of yes. their mouth, yes, it's in itself has a benefit in the conversations. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I love the I love it too because, like, for me, I've noticed like a well placed affirmation, a genuine affirmation with a teenage patient. It's you can almost it's almost like it makes them bloom. Mm. They open up. They make eye. It's like you know providing water to a plant that has been starved of water mm. it's like yes <laughs> it's just it's almost a magical thing when it happens mm. it's clear that you really enjoy that it sounds like that that you are in their joy with them then that you're experiencing that with them and that's really important absolutely to you. yeah yeah cool absolutely we could continue to let the sun shine and water this conversation for the purpose of the yeah. podcast it's it's unfortunate that we are going to have to start drawing it to a close we always offer our guests, Tim, if if they're open to it, to invite anyone who's listening to the podcast the opportunity to maybe speak directly or contact you directly. If, and if that was okay, how would people go about contacting you or finding out more about Tim Abadoga and his research and, and practice of affirmations? Absolutely. I, I, I would love that. Um, be more than happy to. I As you can tell, once you get me started on some of these topics, it's hard to turn me off. Um, so the best way for people to reach me is, would be to just to email me directly. And I'm, I'm more than happy to go ahead and just provide that right now. Yeah, please. Um, it's uh, my first and middle initial and my last name. So it's T-R-A-P-O-D-A-C-A at C-M-H dot E-D-U. That's T-R-A-P-O-D-A-C-A at cmh.edu. That's the email that I see every day. I'd, I'd love to hear from your listeners. Fantastic. Thank you. And just to confirm our contact on Twitter, it's at Change Talking. Facebook, it's Talking to Change. And the email is podcast at glennhines.com. Tim, thanks so much. This has been a, a great conversation. Lots of wonderful things to, to continue to think about, and hopefully it'll really enrich people's practices that are, that are listening to us. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Tim. See you, Sam. Bye. All right. All right, Glenn. We'll see you, see you next time. Cheers. Bye, everybody.